Good morning. My name is Jim, and the Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 27, 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling, and he will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. Then, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord, the word of the Lord. Hi, I'm Martha, and the New Testament reading is found in Acts 12, 5 through 11. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial... Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything that the Jewish people were hoping would happen. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Brett. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The Gospel of the Lord. Our Lord Jesus. Remain standing as we pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we would see Jesus this morning, open our ears, that we would hear the word of the Lord this morning, and open our hearts, that we would believe and receive all that you're saying and doing in us. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be back with you. I haven't seen many of you since the middle of June. Um, (laughs) My my wife, Holly, and I had a really amazing time with our four children. I wrote a little bit about it on a blog. I'll let you catch up on it that way. I won't uh, bring all the details out here on a Sunday. I look forward to being back in the pulpit next Sunday. Uh, and, and we'll kick off a, a series 
um, after that, and we'll, we'll go all through the falls with the book of Genesis. But I, this morning, we, we really have a, a special treat. A couple years ago, um, through a mutual friend, I was introduced to Pastor Rich Velotis in Queens, New York. And, uh, and Rich and I began following each other on Twitter as, you know, nowadays you can do that sort of thing. And as we would interact on social media, we realized it, we think we're pastoring the same church, just somehow in two different locations, uh, his in, in Queens and us here in Colorado Springs. Their church is even called New Life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called New Life Fellowship. Uh, Rich has an amazing story. He was born and raised in East Brooklyn, was radically saved, uh, and then went on to Nyack College in New York and Alliance Theological Seminary. What I love about him, one of the things I love about him, is he's shaped so much by sort of this Pentecostal stream of the life and power of the Holy Spirit, and yet has spent so many years since his early 20s devouring the Desert Fathers and the contemplative tradition. In fact, in April... Holly and I went out to New York to attend a conference at his church on emotionally healthy spirituality. And this teaching kind of developed from uh, the founding pastor of that church some 20 years ago or so, and their church has been living it. Rich took over as the senior pastor of that church about three years ago. And when we heard Rich teach and speak, we thought, man, this is the stuff that we need invested into our community. So we had an amazing day yesterday with a lot of our team that serves at New Life Downtown as Rich poured into us all day long. But I know he saved the best for today on Sunday. (laughs) morning. So, would you give a warm New Life welcome to Pastor Rich Velotis. Good morning, New Life. It's a joy, a true joy to be here. As Glenn mentioned, I pastor New Life Fellowship Church uh, in the heart of Queens, New York City. We are a church with over uh, 75 uh, nations represented. 123 languages spoken in the neighborhood. If you want to go take out $20 at the nearest ATM, there's about 20 options, languages, very confusing place, uh, and yet a very beautiful place. Our claim to fame as a church is, if you've ever seen Coming to America with Eddie Murphy, he, he worked at McDowell's. Uh, if you ever watch the movie again, while he's mopping, you'll see our church in the background. That's our claim to fame right there. Uh, our church is in coming to America, so uh, make sure you check that movie out. I, I love your city. Um, I love Colorado Springs. My first time in Colorado, and this morning, because I'm on New York time, I woke up at 4.45 a.m., and I just couldn't go back to sleep, so I went to Garden of the Gods and gasped the entire time, just, ah, and, ah, and, ah, and that was me. I couldn't breathe, too, just walking. It was like, so it's part of gasping, part of it, I could not breathe, but, um, but just a beautiful, beautiful uh, city you have here, and uh, a beautiful church you have here as well. Um, my wife, Rosie, we've been married 10 years. We have two beautiful children, our daughter, Karis, seven, and our son Nathan too, so we're coming off a vacation, and uh, so I'll be heading back into a work mode as well this coming week, but it's a joy to be here. Listen, our greatest task, I believe, as a church is to cultivate a life with God in prayer, uh, both individually and collectively, and so today I want to uh, talk about really the power of prayer and the power of intercession, and I want to also share a little bit of my story, which I believe com- came as a response uh, to the prayers of others. And so let me pray for us and we'll look right into this passage, really focusing on Acts chapter 12 uh, this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, speak to us through the power of your spirit. 
Open up our eyes so that we may see what you want us to see. Our ears so that we may hear what you want us to hear. Open our hearts so that we would receive every good gift you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Uh, One of the greatest tasks I believe that the church has is to cultivate a life with God and to intercede for the world around us. I read this powerful story of prayer and intercession uh, spoken by a famous uh, professor and preacher. Many of you have probably heard of his name called Tony Campolo. Uh, Tony was scheduled to speak at a Pentecostal college in Pennsylvania. And before the service began, uh, eight men escorted Tony to the back of the room. And in Pentecostal fashion, they had him kneel down, they placed their hands on his head, and they began to pray for him. And Tony thought that this was a good idea, but the longer they they prayed, the more fatigued they became. And the more fatigued they became, the the harder they would put their hand on his head. And so the longer they began to lean on him, the more he began to wonder if this was a good idea in the first place. To make matters worse, one of the guys wasn't even praying for Tony. You know it's bad when they're supposed to be praying for you, and all of a sudden they start praying for somebody else. This well-intentioned man started praying for someone else, a man by the name of Charlie Stoltfess. And Tony remembered this prayer, and the man said it this way. He said, Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltfus? He lives in that silver trailer down the road a mile. You know the trailer, Lord, just down the road on the right-hand side. And Tony was thinking, do you really think God needs to know the specific location of where this guy, Charlie, lives? But the intercessor continued. He said, Lord, Charlie uh, told me this morning that he's leaving his wife and three kids. Step in and do something, God. Bring that family back together. And the men finally finished praying. Tony preached his message. And after the service was over, Tony excused himself and jumped on the Pennsylvania turnpike to return home. And as he was returning home driving, he sees this hitchhiker on the road. And Tony decided to give this hitchhiker a ride. And this is what happened in Tony Campolo's words. He said, we drove a few minutes and I said, hi, my name is Tony Campolo. What's yours? And he said, my name is Charlie Stolfes. And Tony said, I couldn't believe it. He said, I got off the turnpike at the next exit and headed back. The guy got a bit uneasy and after a few minutes said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? Tony said, I'm taking you home. He narrowed his eyes. He said, why? He said, because you left your wife and three kids, right? (laughs) The guy said, yeah, and with shock written all over his face, he plastered himself against the window. And then he said, what I did next really did him in. I drove right next to his silver trailer. And when I pulled up, his eyes seemed to bulge. And he asked, how did you know I lived here? And Tony responded, God told me. I love that. And when he opened the trailer door, his wife exclaimed, you're back. And, and Charlie whispered in her ear. And, and the more they, they talked, the bigger her eyes got. And, and Tony sat them down. And with real authority, he led that couple to Jesus Christ that day. Just a beautiful story. And when you hear that story, many of us would probably think, man, Tony is the star of that story. But Tony is not the star of the story. I would say the man who was praying for that Charlie Stolfus is the guy that we really need to be paying attention to. It is through that man's 
prayer. It's through that man's intercession that a miracle was about to take place and allowed to take place because of this discipline of prayer and intercession. And intercession is prayer is one of the ways that we commune with God and one of the ways that we love other people. Intercession, very simply, is praying for someone else's well-being. As the great Quaker author Richard Foster has said, he said it this way, that the prayer of intercession requires something from us. This is not something that's done flippantly. It requires our heart. When we hear and see the news and our hearts want to turn away from the pain and suffering we see, the prayer of intercession calls us to stay present to the pain and to pray for those who are suffering. In our text this morning, we come across a beautiful story that shows the power of prayer, the power of intercession. It's found in Acts chapter 12. The book of Acts is one of my favorite books in the Bible because it gives the picture of how the church flourished and experienced the power of God. The the Gospels, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, tell the story of Jesus and how the kingdom of God was available through him. The, The book of Acts tells the story of Jesus and how the power of God was available through the church in the power of the Spirit. And so the church, what you you notice throughout the book of Acts is that the church was identified by prayer. You you cannot read uh, chapters without coming across prayer. When the church needed to identify people for leadership, you see them praying. When the spirit falls down, it's because of prayer. When they wanted to offer healing to someone, it is because of prayer. Prayer saturates the book of Acts, and prayer is to saturate our very lives. And this is what we see in this story. In this chapter, Peter The leader of the church is arrested. And up until this point, the church was growing, the church is flourishing, and the church in the process was upsetting the religious and political system and the religious leaders of the day. And let me just say parenthetically that if our churches and if our gospel is not upsetting religious systems and political systems, we're not really preaching the gospel. Because to preach the gospel is to upset every system in our world. And so King Herod has him arrested because they're upsetting the system. And he puts him in maximum security prison. And Herod has just killed James, one of the other leaders of the church, and Peter seems next. And so Peter, he seems to be in a situation that's beyond his ability to change. No one can change Peter's situation. No one was skilled enough to overtake the guards. There was no Christian church SWAT team that can go into the prison and release Peter from the clutches of Herod. From the look of the situation, it seems this is beyond his control. And just like the church in this chapter, we continually find ourselves in situations beyond our ability to control beyond our ability to change. The pain of life can be so overwhelming that it doesn't seem that anything could change. When we see racial tensions and structural racism in our society, it seems that this is beyond our ability to change. When we see war and terrorism and poverty and, and, and what we saw in Paris and in Afghanistan and in Orlando and in Syria, it seems this is beyond our ability to change. 
When we see family breakdown in our society and divorce and, and, and challenges in marriages and, and what's happening in our culture, it seems this is beyond our ability to change. When we see disease and illness and cancer and, and things of that nature, it seems that this is beyond our ability to change. And some of you have come to church with situations at home that seem beyond your ability to change. But in moments like this, this is why we gather as the people of God and gather in worship together because in moments like this, we might say words like this, that with man, this is impossible, but with God, nothing is impossible. Racism and inequality can change because with God, all things are possible. War and terrorism and poverty can change because with God, all things are possible. The family breakdowns in our culture can change because with God, all things are possible. Disease and death will change one day because with God, all things are possible. Can you say amen to that? And so this is why prayer is so important, because when we pray, we are tapping into a divine power that makes the impossible possible. And so this is why in moments of difficulty, we have to be careful that we don't fall into two extremes. When we are overwhelmed by life, what we see in our culture, what we see in our homes, we have to be mindful that we don't fall into two extremes. The first extreme is the extreme of resignation. That resignation says, this is how it will always be. Have you ever looked at your life? You looked at patterns in your life? Your grandmother was like this. Your mother was like this. You said, this is just how I am. This is just how it will always be. You see uh, the problems in our world, and we, it's so easy for us to give up. The church could have said, Peter's locked up. They killed James. I guess this is how it's always going to be. They'll take our leaders, and they'll kill them. This is how it will always be. And so the first extreme that we have to be mindful of is the extreme of resignation. The other extreme, and this is how prayer confronts resignation, but prayer also confronts how we tend to rely on human strength. So it's not just resignation. It's also our uh, uh, reliance on self, reliance on human strength. We tend to believe we can fix the world, but we don't need God to do it. And I'm all for uh, getting involved in the various sectors of society. I'm all for Christians getting involved in politics. I'm all for Christians getting involved in, in all these different areas of the world. But unless God breathes, unless God moves, unless God work on our behalf, we can only do so much in our human strength. And so prayer comes against resignation and Prayer comes against reliance on human strength. And every movement that has happened in our country and throughout human history has happened not because people were smart enough, but because people relied on God, because people trusted in God. I was reading recently of a Coretta Scott King, Dr. King's wife, and she talked about the civil rights movement, but, but you saw them marching and you saw them, but she talked about really the, the importance of prayer in this movement. And listen to these words she says. She says, prayer was the wellspring and strength and inspiration during the civil rights movement. During the movement, we prayed for greater human understanding. We prayed for the safety of our compatriots in the freedom struggle. We prayed for victory in our nonviolent protests, for brotherhood and sisterhood among people of all races, for reconciliation and the fulfillment of the beloved community. You cannot have movement 
without prayer. And so God calls us to a life of prayer. This is why I love verse 5 in the book of Acts in chapter 12, where he says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. My favorite word in that verse there is but. Because anytime you say but, you negate what was previously stated. In my teenage years, I would date these girls, and they'd say, uh, I really like you, but we're breaking up. Oh, Mom, if you really like me, why we, why we, I mean, what's happening here? Whenever you say but, I, you forget to, what happened before. You only hear what happens after. Peter was kept in prison, but it's almost as, as if Luke is saying, God is about to negate this reality. But constant prayer was offered to God by him, for him by the church. Peter is set free because the church was praying. Now, what I love about the story is not only that Peter was set free physically, even before Peter was set free physically, Peter was set free emotionally. Peter was set free spiritually, as it were, because the story says that while Peter was in this prison and prayer was being offered, Peter was sleeping. If you are about to await your execution, you're probably not sleeping. You're probably full of anxiety. But yet Peter is sleeping, sound asleep, between these two guards. And I love it because it's almost as if Peter, because the church was praying for him, it's almost as if Peter uh, was, was meditating on that passage that we read today in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, and in Psalm 27. I can imagine Peter in the jail cell where he knows that Herod has him in his clutches, that he's in prison, and yet perhaps Peter was able to pray in the cell before he fell asleep that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war shall rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore shall I offer praises in his tabernacle of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises unto the Lord. And then right there. (laughs) Sound asleep. Now, when you read the story, you see that Peter is sound asleep. And you would think, that the only reason why he's sound asleep is because Peter is a man of great faith. But the connection is Peter's sound asleep, and Luke wants us to see, not just because he's a man of good faith and great faith, but because the church was praying for him. That God has set up our relationship with him in such a way that heaven and earth move as a response to prayer. The world knows nothing of this. The world looks at this as foolishness to take 
our words and to offer them to God and God moves in power. This is foolishness to the world, but what is foolishness to the world is wisdom to God. And what is weakness to the world is strength to God. And so as Christians, we have, listen, we have the audacity to believe that when we offer words of prayer, God will change the course of human history. This is why Walter Wink, the great author, said that human history belongs to the intercessors who believe God's future into being. History does not belong to those in power. History does not belong to those in the Oval Office. History does not belong to those who have all political power and economic power. History belongs to those who call upon the name of the Lord. And so the invitation for us is to be a church, is to be followers of Jesus who know how to call on the name of the Lord. We have the audacity that when we pray, God listens. And God not only listens... He moves. Now, here's the beautiful thing about the story. God takes our weak faith, our mustard seed faith, and he responds to us. And this is how I know. It seems that when the church was praying for Peter, they didn't really expect God to answer. This is actually one of the funniest passages in the New Testament. I want to encourage you to keep reading it when you get home. It's one of the funniest passages in the New Testament. Because the church is praying for Peter... And while they're praying for Peter, God sends an angel. The angel sets Peter free somehow, breaks out of the prison. This is the easiest recorded prison break in human history. You thought El Chapo had something? This is, El Chapo had nothing on this here. He gets out of prison so easily. And then he runs back to rejoin the church. And when he arrives, he's hungry and he's thirsty and he knocks on the door. And so Peter's set free, he knocks on the door, and the church is praying for him. And they're praying, Lord, please help Peter, we love Peter, he's our leader, please, Lord. And Peter starts, he's knocking. Lord, we love Peter, please hear our prayers, we love you. And Peter's knocking. Finally, a woman named Rhoda comes, and she goes to the door. And listen, um, I imagine Rhoda's from Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn, I wrote her from Brooklyn. (laughs) And I imagine she, she just doesn't open, you don't open the door for anybody in Brooklyn, yeah? And I imagine her, she gets to the door and she goes, who is it? And he goes, Peter. And she goes, Peter who? <laughs> it's Peter, it's me. And the funniest thing happens, she, I guess she looks into the peephole and she goes, oh, it's Peter. And instead of opening the door, she runs back to the church. It's like, and and I, I find it just parenthetically ironic that Peter, it was easy for Peter to get out of prison, but it was hard for him to get into the church. <laughs> That's another sermon for a whole nother time here. They pray, and, and, and she runs back. She says, Peter's there. They say, stop playing with us, Rhoda. God doesn't work that fast, you know. And she goes, no, Peter is there. And so their response, unfortunately, is how we are. That we pray many times, not out of expectation, but out of obligation. And so in preparation for this, I was going to say that the focus of the story is for us to pray with great faith because God answers prayers of great faith. But then I read the story again. And I realized that the focus of the story is not the church's great faith. The focus of the story is God's great power. 
that God can take mustard seed, doubting faith, and God can move with power. At the end of the day, all power comes from God. And he takes our small faith, our weak faith. This is why the gospel reading is pray and keep on praying, ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, because God responds in power. My life and my journey with Christ, I believe, is a response to someone praying for me and praying for my family. I grew up in a home that was uh, not Christian, not a Christian family at all. Uh, My parents were, my father was a bit antagonistic towards the church. My mother was indifferent towards the church. My father was a weekend alcoholic. My mother was a good moral person. My father didn't think God would take him. My mother didn't think uh, God, she needed God because she was good. And so we wouldn't go to church as a family, but from time to time when I was five and six years old, my mother would send me to church with my grandparents in East New York, Brooklyn. And uh, I I thought growing up that my mother and father were really um, concerned about my spiritual development, so they sent me to church. I found out really later on because we went to this Latino Pentecostal church that uh, they have long services. You get good child care going to those kind of churches. You can do laundry and grocery shopping. You could do a whole lot of stuff by just sending your kids to the church. And so my mother would send us to the church. I'm the oldest of five, and we would go. And, and the only time my parents would come to church was during Easter and Christmas. And during these, uh, you know, uh, church holidays, uh, they would always have a church play, and I would always be like the blind man uh, who got healed by Jesus, or the lame man. And so in the play, I'd be blind, and I'd see my mother's crying on the side there. I'm just like, I must be a really good actor here. This is pretty good. Mom is crying on the side. And so that's the only time they would come to church. And so I would go to this church from about 5 to about 12 years old or so. And by the time I was 12, I just said, I don't understand what they're saying. My Spanish is not really good. I believe growing up, Jesus was Puerto Rican. I believe he's Puerto Rican to this day. They said Jesus. They said Bienvenido. They did all that stuff. Todo lo puedo en Cristo que me fortalece. They said all that stuff. I believe to this day he's a Puerto Rican Jew. And so... and so I, I, at 12 years old, I said, Mom, I don't want to go anymore. And she said, you don't have to go anymore. And it's like, man, I was saved, saved from the church. I was like, this is magnificent. But I found myself back in the church about five years later as a 17-year-old because I started dating a pastor's daughter. And that will get you back in the church very quickly, uh, <laughs> dating a pastor's daughter. The pastor said, Rich, if you want to date my daughter, you have to come to church. I said, great. He did not say what time I had to be at the service. And so I would come 10 minutes before the service ended. And at the end of the service, he said, Rich, it's so good to see you. I said, same here. He goes, did you enjoy the sermon? I said, absolutely. He said, what was it about? I said, Jesus. <laughs> Sin, the Holy Spirit. Sal- if you just say that, I mean, that's, you pass every time. And so the next week, I come in 10 minutes late. What would you think about the sermon? Fantastic. What was it about? <laughs> Of course it was about Jesus and sin and salvation and everything like that. And so I would date this, this, te- this teenage relationship, which are awful, uh, you know, just filled with so much anxiety. And, and this relationship was going for about two years, and then the relationship ended. Now, this was like my first relationship. I invested all of my emotions into this, my $20 bank account. I mean, I invested everything into this relationship. But one day, the relationship ended. 
And I was in Queens walking from Brooklyn, walking to Brooklyn because the relationship ended just depressed, sad. And I got home, and, and when I got home, my father was home coming off of a hangover, and he was watching the New York Jets play, which is not a really good combination to do at that time. <laughs> my mother is cooking in the kitchen, and, but my four siblings were not home. They were at church, which was very surprising because we weren't a church-going family. I said, hey, where's Jason? Where's Laura? Where's Michelle? Where's Melissa? They said, oh, they're at the church, the church that I was healed from my blindness as a five-year-old in the church place. And so they said, there's some evangelists there. And I said, I was so broken up. I said, you know what? Let me go to this church. And so I walk into this small Spanish Pentecostal church. Uh, on a typical day, it's 40 to 50 people. Revival was there, which means there was about 90 to 100. So 90 to 100 people packed into this small church. I walk into this church. They're singing about de- demons leaving. Like, like, they get out of here. As I'm walking in, they're singing about demons. I'm like, I hope they're not talking about me as I'm walking in here. I sit towards the back, and about 10 minutes after I walk in, my father walks in, and my mother walk in. Now, we're not a church. This was very odd. And what made it even more odd was the way my father came in. My father came in with sneakers and no socks and pajama pants and a tank top, a Mets jacket, and a Mets hat. And I'm going, thanks, Dad. I mean, we're looking really good in the neighborhood with you walking into the church like this. Later on, I would say, Dad, why'd you come into the church? And he said, I, I, he said, when you left to say you were going to church, he said, I don't know if it was an audible voice or an inaudible voice, but all I heard was two words, follow him. And he said, I didn't know if that meant follow Jesus or follow Rich, but because Rich was going to go to church to see Jesus, I said, let me just follow Rich. And so he walked in, he grabbed my mother with this sense of urgency, walking into the back of the church, and this preacher got up to preach through Ezekiel 37 about the valley of dry bones, that God wants to breathe life into you. And he said, most of our lives are like a valley, we're desolate, we're dry, we're fragmented, and what we need is the breath of God, what we need is the life of God. And he preached, and he said, if anyone wants to receive the life of God, the breath of God, come forward, and one by one, family members began to respond. My mother responded, and my father responded and my brother responded and my sister responded and my sister responded and my sister responded and I responded and an uncle responded and an aunt responded and a cousin responded and another cousin responded another aunt responded another uncle responded another cousin responded another cousin responded listen if my dog was there my dog would have responded my dog and I had a bad dog the chihuahua named Milo he would have been at the front of the church just saying forgive me Lord of my sins as well that's how powerful God's spirit was moving in that church. And so all of us, 15 of us in 1999 come to the Lord Jesus Christ in a powerful, profound way, crying at the, we've never cried like this before each other, crying. It was very awkward going back home that night. No one wanted to make eye contact with each other. It's like, (laughs) no one wanted to just even look at each other. But you would say, Rich, God used that preacher with great power, but we don't see our two grandparents who for 20 and 30 years had been praying over and over and over and over because God responds to our prayers. We have the audacity, brothers and sisters, to believe that when we call upon the name of the Lord, that he moves in power. History belongs to the intercessors. Some of you today, you're like Peter. 
you're in bondage to something, you're shackled, you wonder, will I ever be set free? And the word of the Lord is, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, you can be set free. Some of us were like the church that's praying for Peter. Maybe there's someone in your life or something in your life that needs liberation and freedom. And God is inviting us today to call upon him, whether it's for something at home or at work in your personal life, addictions and struggles, whatever it is. We serve a God who moves when we call upon his name. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. Where do you need God's freedom and liberation this morning? Where do you need his rescue, his power, his authority, his healing? Right where you're at, why don't you just offer it before God? Lord, would you set me free from this? Or Lord, would you set my son free, my daughter free, my coworker free, my neighbor free? Why don't you just whisper that name before God? Lord, set them free. And if the Son sets us free, we shall be free indeed. Amen.